said, we are in Colossians chapter 2. If you would like to turn there, you need your Bible in this church. If you don't have one, we've got little uh, bookshelves on either side. Help yourself to a Bible. We would be glad to give it to you. That would be fine. Colossians chapter 2. You know, of all of the religions that have ever existed on the face of the earth, there are only five that have been based upon persons rather than philosophical presuppositions. Only five of all of the thousands, tens of thousands of religions in the world. Of course, Jesus Christ heads the list as far as I'm concerned. But some follow the pattern and ways and laws uh, that came to us and uh, through Abraham. Others follow Buddha in Eastern culture. Some follow Muhammad, and others follow Confucius. Of these five, how many claim to be the Son of God? Just Jesus. How many died on the cross for your sins? Just one, and his name is Jesus. Who rose from the dead amongst those five? Only Jesus. So can I tell you this? When you compare the five major religions that are based upon people rather than philosophy, understand Jesus is head and shoulders apart from all of them put together. He is the Son of God whose teachings that we read about through the pen of Paul as he writes from his imprisonment in Rome, he writes this letter to a church that he had never visited. But understand that as we look uh, at this letter, it's a letter that's striking in its example because it was a church that had been infiltrated by the false teachings of other personalities. You hear all the time, well, there's only five major religions in the world and they're all about the same. They are nothing alike at all. Nothing alike. That can only be a statement made by a, a person who has never read any of their writings. But Jesus Christ is in a league of his own. Understand this when you start looking at the life of, of Buddha or Muhammad. Confucius, that makes great stuff for fortune cookies. It is not a good thing to base your salvation upon. Should you be a good person? Of course you should be. All five did say that, but only one of them said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Those are the words of a person you want to listen to. That's a person that carries gravitas, weight in his words. The context of chapter 2, which is what we're in this morning, really begins in the previous chapter, verse 24, as Paul is outlining his labor for the church. And he continues the thought, understand that chapter and verse divisions were, weren't added to the biblical text until the Middle Ages. So we're just going to blow through that big number two on the page and understand its context backs up a, a little bit further than that. What he says in verse one, I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, not Abraham, not Buddha, not Muhammad, 
not Confucius. Christ, verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in the body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. God only wrote one book, the Bible. He did not write the Book of Mormon. He did not write the Doctrines and Covenants, the Pearl of Great Price. He did not write the writings of Confucius. He did not write the Quran. Understand that. This is the Holy Bible written by men of God as they were led on by the Holy Spirit of God. When Paul says in verse 1, he says, I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you. It's a Greek wrestling term. Agona, where we get our word agony. He's agonizing with them. He's working to the point of utter and complete exhaustion simply to encourage them. Boy, Paul is a servant like none I've ever met in my life. He never stops studying. He never stops praying. He never stops reading. He never stops sharing. These things weren't things that he did. It's who he was. It should define who you and I are. It's not our jobs that define us. It's not where we live or how much money we make that define us. But who we are in Christ Jesus. The whole world is out there looking for an identity. That's why social media is so popular. Everybody wants to be entertained. Everybody wants to find out who I am. Maybe I'm this or maybe I'm that. And the world is unsure, has no idea. Paul says, I've got one agenda only. I want to strengthen you and encourage you. It's two, two aspects of the, of the same mission and purpose. That they might be encouraged in heart and united in love. Encouraged, parakaleo, to come alongside of, to call people out. Call them out of what? Laodicea and lukewarmness. To call them into a vibrant walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, like Paul's. Paul would have the audacity at one point to say, follow me as I follow Christ. All he did was read and pray and worship and share his faith. Is that you? If it's not, why? Are you pursuing something better? Something maybe more godly? We allow ourselves to be distracted by this world. Quite frankly, since the advent of radio, the world has bought into this idea of distraction. So we don't have to think about things. And then television came along, and it made it ten times worse than radio ever did, because now we could associate images with sound. Social media and computers, the advent of computers has taken that to a whole new level. Most of what goes on in the internet is not the transmission of information, it's entertainment. It is distraction. It's not that you, anything that you need to know, it's so that you don't have to think, so that you don't have to wonder about where your life's direction is headed. You don't have to worry about work. You can just zone out in front of that and spend endless hours. That's what the world does. How come that's what Christians do? Why is that what 
Christians do. We are in this world, but we are not supposed to be of this world. But by media activity and cell phone activity and computer activity, you can't tell Christians from the world these days. And that should strike you as a problem, a big problem. We live in a distracted age, and Paul says what you need to be is reunited with Jesus Christ so that you don't lose your first love. You've got to fan into full flames the embers of the Holy Spirit, is what Paul told Timothy. There has to be an active engagement on your part with the Word of God and the person of God and the Holy Spirit of God, not TV, not social media. If you're engaged more hours a week in those activities than the pursuit of God, you are exactly where Satan wants you. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. You can't serve two masters. In verse 2 where Paul uses this word, I just want to encourage you in heart. This word parakaleo, it means to to comfort, to be sure. But it's more than that, shallow sympathy often makes people feel worse. True spiritual encouragement, I think, makes people feel better because it brings out the best in people. It encourages them in a godly direction. The only way you'll ever get more godly than you are this morning is if you make the choice to pursue God. It's that simple. If you don't do the... Jesus, oh... So often he was inquiring of God. He was seeking the face of his heavenly father. We have the promise of Jeremiah 29 where God promises his people. His people. Let's start with that. If you seek me with all of your heart, I will be found by you. You have to do the seeking. Uh, and can I tell you this? You're not going to find him uh, on, on TikTok. Sorry. He's, he, you're not going to find him on YouTube. He only wrote one book. I encourage you to be in it. Well, I tried reading it front to back, Pastor Jim, and I bogged down in Leviticus. <coughs> Start off in the New Testament, then in the Gospel of John. Read a chapter a day as slowly as you can and pray over every word and ask God to apply it to your heart. What do you do the next day? Start in John chapter 2. On day 3, where do you think you should start? This is a test. Start with, just keep moving through the Word of God. I like to keep a little notebook and write down the things that God's impressing upon my heart by way of personal application. Because until the Word of God is put into practice in your life, it'll never change your life. Wait, I say, wait upon the Lord. There's some precious promises in the Psalms about God giving us the desires of our hearts. But only to the extent that our desires align with His. How do I know what God's desires are? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here's the answer book. Of all of the tests in life, I mean, do you know when I was going to school, and this was a long time ago, when I was going to school, I liked the books best that had the answers in the back. (laughs) Didn't you? 
I mean, they, the teacher would always say, well, that's so you can check your work when you're done. No, it's not. It's so you can cheat. It's so you can find out what the answer is before you have to do the work. That's how we used it. This is the only book of, uh, that I know of that provides all of the answers to all of the questions in life. And it's not cheating to look. That's the cool part. Book with all of the answers, and all you have to do is open it up. Ah, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. William Barclay shared a story illustrating what this word encourage meant to the Greeks. And he shares this quote. There was this Greek regimen that had lost heart and was utterly dejected after a serious defeat in battle. The general sent a leader to talk to this regiment to such a purpose that courage was reborn and a body of dispirited men became fit again for heroic action. That's what the word encourage means. That's what the word of God does. You must be in it. You must be seeking it out. Let God encourage you. Because if you're watching TV, you're never going to hear from God. You're never going to be encouraged by God. If you're just absorbed in social media and entertainment, while that it feeds the flesh, it doesn't feed the spirit. It doesn't make you a better man or woman of God. And that's why Satan wants you to devote so much time to it. Be careful. The tyranny of time is what Satan seems to be using these last days to keep Christians off balance. We have to be intentional. And Paul says, I'm struggling for you. My purpose is to encourage in heart and unite them in love. Literally, having been knit together, knit together. I love that. The Gnostic heresy and subsequent argument was dividing the church. That's what arguing always does in any church. The mature Christian, I think, should seek to be a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. It's a choice. He or she that promotes spiritual unity and peace and harmony in the birth, in, in the church that is centered in the work and person of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the fruit of the Holy Spirit in an operation. What does it look like? We look like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That's what a godly man, a godly woman looks like. That's what your kids desperately need. That's what your friends are longing to see. In verse 3, he goes on, he says, In Christ in whom are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's what this Gnostic heresy that had infiltrated the church promised. Oh, there's a secret body of knowledge. There's some wisdom that just transcends the average mortal Christian. And Paul says, you know what? These things are found only in Christ. It's not found in, in argument or misinterpretation or faulty application. Paul says in verse 4, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. That's what the heretics used. It didn't build up. It didn't encourage. No, it promised things it couldn't deliver. Secret wisdom, secret knowledge. You would never become a Gnostic by reading the Word of God alone. 
You'd have to listen to and buy into their fine-sounding arguments. Can I take this a little bit further? You would never become a Buddhist by reading the Word of God alone. You become a Buddhist by reading Buddhist heresy. That's how you become a Buddhist, by listening to Buddhist doctrine. You would never get Buddhism from reading the Word of God. You would never become a member of Islam by reading the Word of God. Never. You would never become a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness by just reading the Word of God. That's why they've got their books, their pamphlets, their magazines. They're trying to twist your thinking. Heresy is alive and well. It was in the first century when Paul was writing. It's alive today. But undiscerning people that are not in the Word of God are easy targets for such cults. Be careful. Know the Word of God. You cannot buy into heresy by simply sticking with the Word of God. You'd have to read their unbiblical and wrong writings. But even within the church, there's a subtlety. You would never become a Calvinist by just reading the Word of God in context, considering everything from Genesis It divides the church. It can't be of God. If the fruit is division, how can the tree be good? If the fruit is bad, does that just make sense? It does to me. So Satan works outside the church through false religions and heresies. He works inside the church through arguing and division. Do I believe that God is sovereign? Of course he is sovereign. Do I believe that man is responsible? He has been since the Garden of Eden. Of course man is responsible. I will not pit those two positions against one another. They're two sides of the same coin. That's like looking at a quarter and arguing over which is the real quarter, heads or tails. What? It just divides the body of Christ. If the fruit is division, the author cannot be God. Be careful what you buy into. And if you define yourself as anything other than a believer, a simple and humble believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you declare yourself, well, I'm a Calvinist, or I'm an Armenian, I'm a preacher, I'm a this, I'm a, you're a Christian, you're a child of God. That's your identity. The heretics of Paul's age did not want people to know that. They were doing everything they could to divide the body of Christ. Paul says in verse 5, Though I'm absent from you in the body, I'm present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Stay in Christ. Stay close to Christ. Stay in his word. Verse 6 gives us the key to success as a Christian. You want to pull out your highlighter and take a look at verse 6. The key to Christian success long-term is steadfastness. It's like running a marathon. Christianity is not a wind sprint. It's a marathon that'll last you all life long. I've heard steadfastness defined as a steady pull in the same direction. A long, steady pull in the same direction. You, you think of a plow horse, and, and the guy behind the plow is just looking at a point in the horizon, and we're just going to keep on plowing this row. Steady. 
steadfastness, a, a quality of remaining the same for a long time and not changing quickly or unexpectedly, firm in belief, determination, adherence and purpose, resolute. Boy, I like that word. Faithful, dutiful, unwavering, and loyal. That's what we are called to be in Christ. I'm impressed that in the White House, there is a desk that the president sits behind. Resolute. That's the name of the desk. It was the name of the ship that it came off of, the wood that was recovered. Resolute. That's what we as a nation must be. That's what we as Christians must be resolute in our faith. Dutiful, unwavering. Can I tell you, perseverance is required. We're in this for the long game, and you and I must have that perspective. Sometimes we can get quagmired in the moment. I've got COVID-19 now, and I feel miserable. I don't want to think about anything beyond that. We're in this for the long game. I watched a movie with my grandson the other night, Gran Turismo. Have you seen that movie, Gran Turismo? Cool movie, if you like racing at all. My grandkids love racing. Best line in the whole movie. The coach said to his driver, no one ever won Le Mans, the 24-hour European race, on the first lap. It's a 24-hour race. It sums up that element of perseverance that's needed. You keep digging deep. You keep sinking your teeth into the Word of God. It's not a flippant move for you. It's not I go to church when I feel like it moves. I am committed to Christ. I am resolute in my beliefs. I stand against the enemy because I'm putting on the whole armor of God. Daniel portrayed that well. The helmet of salvation, the breastplate of his righteousness, the belt of truth holding high the shield of faith and wielding the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. Of all of the whole armor of God mentioned in Ephesians for us, the only offensive tool that you have is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Every time Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, Jesus answered with what? The Word of God. How did he know that? Did he Google it in the moment? Well, hang on a second, Satan. I need to Google this to find the answer. How did he know the Word of God? He had been in the Word of God. Do you know the Word of God that well? You can answer every temptation of the enemy with the Word of God. He's called us to holiness and purity. Verse 6, so then, just as you received, interesting verb in the Greek, at the point in time, at the moment in time and space that you received Jesus Christ as Lord, at one moment you had a conversion experience, at a moment in time you gave your heart and life to Jesus Christ, and in that moment, the aorist tense brings up, you were saved. So what should we do now that we are saved? Continue to live in him. Continuously continue, present voice, active tense. It's something you and I have to do. We have to continuously continue to live in him, to dwell with him. It's the word meno in Greek, which means that's where I live. It's not what I do, it's who I am. I live with Jesus. I talk with him. 
We, I pray to him all the time. I'm in his house. He's in my heart. He's made my heart his home. Amen. How did you receive Christ? In childlike faith and humility. So live and walk in him constantly with the same childlike faith and grace and humility that you started with. Don't be proud. Don't be arrogant. Don't be hard-headed. Greatest in the kingdom of God, Jesus said in Luke 18, would be like a little child. Like a little child. Completely dependent upon their parent. So, verse 7, he says, back to your roots. Rooted and built up in him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught. And always overflowing with thankfulness. Your roots were in Christ Jesus. You were taught to believe in Christ for your salvation, for the forgiveness of your sins. Don't try to improve upon that. You came to the cross simply. You didn't think you could save yourself because you knew better. You knew you didn't deserve salvation because we fall short the glory of God. You can't improve upon the righteousness that Jesus has already given you. What you can do is continuously continue to abide in him. That's an active process that requires your involvement. I can't do that for you. I can't do... What do your daily quiet times look like? Now, some of you just thought, daily quiet times? Are you kidding me? I thought they were like seasonal. (laughs) You know, like the winter comes and goes, you know, Daily. I think that's a good place to begin. And then work your way up to hourly. And then work your towards giving Jesus every minute, every second, every thought. Taking every thought captive and making it obedient to Christ Jesus. The goal is to never depart his presence. That's the goal. Some of us come to church and say, well, I did my deal. I'm going to walk back out and do my own thing. Now, whoa, 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 you missed the whole point. This is a relationship. We walk arm in arm with the Lord as we walk out these doors. We're in touch with his Holy Spirit. We're guided by his word. We fellowship with one another, not over the things that we have in common politically or sports-wise or any otherwise, but we fellowship around the work and person of the Lord Jesus Christ. What's the Lord doing in your life? Is there anything I can pray for you about? Our conversation should be spiritual, not carnal. And too often, we let our conversation drift towards unspiritually profitable things. Verse 8, see to it, Paul says, that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy versus the Word of God, the sure anchor Philosophy, that depends by, by its very definition on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Tradition, by definition, is something that's not found in Scripture. Not found in Scripture. You go, well, I don't have any traditions. Maybe the Jews did. Really? Do you have a Christmas tree at your house on Christmas? That's a tradition. It's not found in Scripture. Do you hang tinsel and, and balls on the tree? Give me chapter and verse for that. With their traditions, nothing wrong with traditions. They don't supplant the Word of God. 
Okay, we understand the symbols, the Christian symbols that are used on Christmas tree and adornments and lights, and we we get all of that. It's not we're we're not legalistic about these things, but our conversation, our life should be centered on the work and person of the Lord Jesus Christ, not on things not found in Scripture that have been added to the Word of God, like these Jewish religious leaders did. Uh, they did that in a book, they, a series of books they call the Talmud, and they divided up the Talmud into the Mission and the Gemara, the civil and religious editions and commentaries to the law. They, and they added stuff to the Word of God that simply wasn't in the Bible. One of their traditions, you can't walk more than a thousand paces a day. Well, what does that mean? It all depends on your stride. My granddaughter, Ishani, is eight months old. She, a thousand paces for her is about six feet for me. Can't walk more than a thousand paces. They said, according to their Talmud, you can't wear your false teeth on the Sabbath. They considered it doing work. I think it's a whole lot more work to try to eat a steak without your false teeth. Wear your teeth on the Sabbath. But they said, no, 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 you can't carry a burden. What? False teeth, that's silly. You couldn't heal on the Sabbath unless it was life-threatening. Really? You can't go to the emergency room on the Sabbath. You could, uh, really? It's not in the Word of God. You had to suffer. No, really. And yet they'd pull a, an animal out of the ditch on the Sabbath quick enough. Wait a minute. Didn't Jesus warn us against adding to or taking away from his word? Didn't he say in Revelation 22, verses 18 and 19, boy, you add to the, the, this book at all, I'm going to add to you the plagues that are written in this book. You want to take away from the words of this book? I'll take your name out of the Lamb's book of life. The Bible is not something you monkey with. You take it all, the part that steps on your toes and the part that makes you feel good. It is the word of God from Genesis to maps, okay? Everything in between was written for our benefit. There's good examples in there. Follow them. There's bad examples in there. Don't follow them. It's not rocket science. I notice the Old Testament also warns us against adding to or taking away from the Word of God in Deuteronomy 4.2. Again, in Deuteronomy 12.32, don't add to my words, God says, or take away from it. And yet that's what all of the cults do. Well, the Bible's fine, but you need the Book of Mormon. Really? Adding to the Word of God, that's a no-no well, we believe that the Bible is the Word of God, but we believe that the Book of Mormon is the latest, greatest revelation of God. I toured the Temple Mount in Salt Lake City one time. I toured it. They won't let you in the temple itself, but they got a tabernacle and several other buildings they'll walk you through. And they kept saying that, well, the Bible is, is the Word of God and the Book of Mormon is the Word of God. And at the end of the tour, I held up my hand and I said, if that is true, how come I haven't seen a Bible on the tour yet? I've seen the Book of Mormon everywhere, but you say that the Bible is the Word of God, but you don't have it out anywhere. Why is that? You say it's the Word of God, you say the Book of Mormon is, how come I can't find a Bible? Do you have one? Could I have one? Could I read one? Can I compare the Bible to your Book of Mormon? That's why they don't have a Bible out. It would expose the corruption of their beliefs. 
And yet Mormon, but people say, but those Mormons are nice people. If all it took to get you to heaven was being nice, then Jesus bled and died for nothing. You can't get into heaven by being nice. Oh, but they have so much emphasis on the family. We should, but that doesn't get you into heaven. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that does. And any cult that is out there diminishes that, whether they were Gnostics of the first century or the cults that we are surrounded by today. Didn't Jesus say every jot or tittle of the word of God must be fulfilled? He didn't say that about any other book. And yet we read those other books all the time. doesn't say that he would fulfill the traditions of the Jewish religious leaders. He'd fulfill every, every jot and tittle in his word. Here's the problem with adding on to the word of God. Such legalism can't control the old nature, your flesh. You can't legislate morality. A change of heart takes place from the inside works its way out. Religion tries to conform the outside behavior to a moral principle that you and I cannot attain. Can I understand? Just soak this up. You will only become more godly when God is more at home in your heart working out your salvation. You've got to be in the Word of God. You've got to be in prayer. You've got to be in fellowship with Him. Changing you is His business. You putting yourself in His presence is your business. That's why Satan wants you to ignore it. So we're socially messaging one another and TikToking and Facebooking and God only knows what else is out there. The second greatest deliverance of my life after my salvation was the day I gave up my cell phone. <laughs> what a day of redemption. What a day of redemption. Well, Pastor Jim, how can you stay so ignorant? Because social media doesn't make me smarter or better. That's easy. It entertains me. It entertains what? Your spirit or your flesh? Just your flesh. I mean, let's just call it like it is. You like being entertained. You like distraction. You like the flesh being appealed to. And every commercial on television appeals to the flesh. Well, you need this truck. You need to eat this. You need this go-low diet. You need, you need, you need, you need. What they don't say is what you need most is Jesus Christ. What the world needs most is to be forgiven their sins come into a right relationship with, with God, and that is found in the Word of God. It's not found in social media. It's not found in these other distractions of life. Be careful. Verse 8, that's what he says. Verse 9, for in Christ, all, say all, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority, all demonic forces arrayed against you. Paul is declaring the very essence of deity was present in the totality of Jesus' human body. It's a direct refutation of Gnostic teaching. Oh, he just appeared like a man because we know that men are bad. So he was a phantom. Really? How, do, how does a phantom bleed on a cross? Or eat lunch with the disciples? Or celebrate the Last Supper. Understand this. What, what Paul just said is because he is completely God, 
and we are in him, we are completely accepted by God. That's your identity in Christ. Don't look for your identity anywhere out there in the world. Your identity is not who you are, how old you are, or young you are, or pretty, or handsome, or ripped because you went to the gym. I'm complete in Christ Jesus. Do you remember Jesus on the cross? I thought, I do. We just celebrated that. On the cross, he said, it is finished. When you are in Christ because he is in God, you are in Christ, thus you are in God. That's your identity. That's who you really are. I'm saved. I'm loved. I'm a Christian. I'm bought by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said that from the cross. It is finished. In Greek, a single word, tetelestai. It is finished. The Romans put it another way because they spoke the Roman language. You know what they said? Consumatum est. You say, well, what is the significance of that? It was used by Roman tax collectors on your bill, and it meant paid in full. Paid in full. There's no doubt whatsoever that the Romans that heard that cry of Jesus at the foot of the cross realized what he was saying. He had just paid in full the price of all of your sins and mine and all of mankind's for all eternity. He paid. There is nothing that I can add to that. My good works can't save me. But because I'm saved, I do good works. Because he's alive. He's inside of me, sitting on the throne of my heart. He's filled me with his Holy Spirit. Oh God, help us to realize that we are in Christ and complete in him and him alone. Your righteousness is complete. Your salvation is complete. We can't add to that. You're complete in him. Just trust in him. Rely on him. I am complete. I am without spot or blemish in his eyes. There's nothing I can add or that could top what Jesus did for me. I'm clothed in his righteousness, not mine. I'm clothed in his righteousness. I just want to share these three points with you, what it means to be in Christ. And feel free to write these down or or tap into this online. All of our sermons are, are kept online for you. Number one, being in Christ means I'm accepted. I am accepted by Almighty God. That's amazing to me because sinful mankind does not deserve that. Our unholiness keeps a rift between us and a holy God who bridges that gap, Jesus. Jesus, because I trust in him as the Son of God, died on the cross for my sins and risen from the dead on the third day. I'm accepted by God. I'm imputed, is the theological term, with the righteousness of Christ. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. I've been bought with a price, thus... My life has value. My life has meaning. My life has purpose. I'm a saint. I have access to God. I've been redeemed and forgiven all of my sins. I am complete in Christ Jesus. That makes me feel good about myself. I don't need some life coach to tell me good things about me and pump me up or 
I'm, I'm complete in Christ Jesus. But the second thing it means is because I'm in Christ, I'm secure. Secure. I can rest in that. I'm free from condemnation. I'm assured that all things work together for my good. I cannot be separated from God's love. I've been established, anointed, and sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. I'm hidden with Christ in God, according to Colossians. I've not been given a spirit of fear or of bondage, but of power, love, and a sound mind. I'm secure. That's who I am. Regardless of what the, wor- the world says about me. And thirdly, because I'm in Christ, my life has significance. Listen to what the Word of God says. I'm the salt and light of the earth. I'm a branch of the true vine. I've been chosen and appointed to bear fruit. I am the temple of God. I'm his co-worker. I am his workmanship, his poem. I'm a minister of reconciliation, a herald of the gospel. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I'm a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I'm a child of God. Thus, my life has significance. If you know Christ, yours does too. Listen carefully. Jesus is all you need. Whatever problems you face at work or at home or in life, health, finances, your answer is Jesus. Jesus. It's Jesus. Stop barking up the wrong tree. It makes you look like a bad dog. Jesus is the one you need to be running and chasing after. When we have him, we have everything we need. We have all of him. Does he have all of you? That's a separate question, isn't it? Any secret sins that you try to keep from him? Any adulterous thoughts? Any addictions? Does he have all of you? And is that reflected in your character? There's an interesting word. Is it seen in your conduct? Is it seen in your love, in your actions? We have all that we need in Christ Jesus. Does he have all of you? That's the challenge before us today. Paul says as he continues, verse 10, you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. Verse 11, in him you were also circumcised. That means you decided to put off the flesh. It's not a reference to physical circumcision. This is a spiritual act. I don't live for the flesh anymore. I live for the spirit. In the putting off of the sinful nature, literally the flesh, not done with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but this is a spiritual circumcision done by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, that's an intimate identification with the death and burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why everybody in the New Testament who gets saved, as soon as they could, they got baptized. It's not that baptism saves you, but it's a public declaration of your faith in the the one that did save you. You should be baptized. 
circumcision of Christ. It's a spiritual work of Christ within us. And have been raised with him, verse 12 says, through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. That's what we believe. And I don't need to read any other book to get that. There is no other cultic teaching that can reveal to me a secret truth or a hidden knowledge apart from the word of God. Avoid the cults. They are infiltrating churches left and right and taking away the simplicity of our faith in Christ Jesus. So what Paul's doing there in verse 12 is he's simply using these rituals of circumcision and baptism to demonstrate that Christ's work is internal. It's inside of us. We died to sin. We identified ourselves with Jesus' death and we were buried with him in that baptismal water and raised to newness of life. If you haven't been baptized, you might want to consider getting baptized. It's a spiritually significant experience. This, this co-burial and co-resurrection is pictured in baptism. It is he that gives me the power to live a new life that, that's required of us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I want to stop there because I can't do justice to the rest of the text from verse 13 to the end of the chapter. But here is your homework assignment. Read it. At least one time for each of the next seven days. Just read it. It's, it's only half a chapter. I mean, certainly you can read half a chapter. You read more than, than that on your cell phone a day. Read this, the Word of God, verses 13 through the end of the chapter, and I will do my level best next week to answer any question you might possibly have about the text. So you read, I'll answer all your questions. Deal? Let's stand and close in prayer, shall we? Oh, you are a good God. You've saved us from our sins. Now help us to continuously continue to abide in you. Keep us free from great sin. Encourage Faith in our hearts, Lord Jesus, even as Paul was agonizing over those precious believers. So I agonize over my friends before me this morning. We are all in this boat together, Lord. We want to be better than we are. So help us to realize afresh who I am in Christ. And every day, as I seek you with all of my heart and mind and soul and strength, Make us more like you. Empower us, Lord, to live rightly these last days. It's hard. It's hard out there, Lord. So many challenges that come to us from so many corners in life. We are weak, but you are strong. So help us to continue walking in the simplicity of your worth. Keep us close, Lord Jesus. Fill us afresh this very day, Heavenly Father, with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. What we need is you, Lord. We come seeking, asking and knocking this morning, Father. In Jesus' name.